This is Robotic Disclosure, the program that reveals everything you want to know about robotic surgery, robotic technology, and how to run a best practice robotic program for your hospital, your surgeons, and your patients. And now, here's your host, Josh Feldstein. Our next guest, Dr. Russell Martin, is a robotic and laparoscopic general surgeon with a real passion for robotic cost-effectiveness and program efficiency. Dr. Martin is Medical Director of Robotic Surgery at St. Agnes Medical Center in Fresno, California, and he has received the Compassionate Doctor Award four years in a row and the Patient's Choice Award the past three years from Vitals. He was an invited faculty presenter at the SLS Minimally Invasive Surgery Week. Great to speak with you, Russ. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Let's start off with the work that you're doing at St. Agnes as a uh, robotic surgery director. How have you turned around the hospital's robotic program uh, and guided it towards its current success? So I came into a hospital system that had had a robot since 2001. And uh, they've seen their volume come and go. Um, they actually started with cardiothoracic surgery using the very first uh, Da Vinci S robot, or the standard robot. Um, surgeons came and left, and they had a slow, uh, steady trickle of volume, probably about 15 to 25 cases per quarter for the last 10 years. Not much. So coming, yeah, so coming into this system, um, it basically was a broken program that was just floundering, you know, getting by. And they even stopped doing, you know, robotic steering committee meetings. Um, so when I came in, I mandated that we had to start, you know, monthly robotic steering meetings. Um, uh, so that started again. Um, I brought them, you know, of course, I had my own patients uh, coming in, so and then robotic surgery. Just the plethora of surgeries or procedures that we could do on a robot that was instantaneous volume. So within a matter of you know three months, I'd you know tripled their yearly volume. Um, and then from there, you know, working with administration and really um, pounding the importance of the economics of the robot. And, you know, they were dealing with, uh, you know, how to platform the DaVinci SI platform, which is, you know, 10 years old already. And, you know, fall, you know failing parts, breaking down, um, taking time in the OR, uh, delaying cases. So uh, really pushed for them to get uh, the... Uh, current generation technology um, just to get them up to speed. And that, that required a business plan. So, you know, presenting to them my incremental volume in addition to the other surgeons coming on board uh, that were interested in a, in a revitalized program. Uh, so um, bringing those numbers to the table uh, looking at uh, decreased length of stays for colorectal procedures, for uh, complex ventral hernia uh, procedures, and uh, actually um, even more advanced uh, 
procedures such as gastrectomies, um, you know, all uh, malignant type uh, general surgical procedures, and then even the benign procedures, the, the gallbladders. And um, so I, I showed that to him in the business plan as far as length of stay, average length of stay, you know, open versus laparoscopic versus robotic. Here's your average dollar amount from uh, premier data uh, for your stay, average, you know, length of stay, your patient population for our area. And it's, it's a no brainer. It, it only made sense, you know, that the hospital would be um, making money and, uh, you know, decreasing length of stay and having those available bed days uh, per year, how many available bed days per year um, for extra patients to come into the hospital. Yes. So right, that right there sold it. Yes, sir. That's, that's a great summary. And, and I want to just underscore a couple of points to make sure it's clear. Uh, when you talk about ventrals and gastrectomies and, and malignant cases, and you talk about uh, the advantage that the robotic procedure had versus uh, a, a lap or an open procedure in some of these case types, when you started the dialogue with administration, Russ, it sounds like they were not aware of some of the advantages that robotics offered. Um, and you educated them. You took administration to school. This is a common occurrence, would you agree? And the other piece of this is the data that you needed to support your argument, you referenced premier data. Did you have any data from inside of St. Agnes Medical Center's IT department? And are you getting these kinds of performance data metrics now? I completely agree with you. Um, they did not know. Um, so that's exactly you know, where, where we are at now. So we've developed a dashboard uh, to give us some of these metrics. Um, and it's very elementary. Um, like I said, we, we just started, you know, basically just came on board rebooting this program. Right. Um, so we're looking at the basics of, you know, wheels in to wheels out, um, tur you know, turnover time totals, you know, volume, costs um, for instrumentation per case, per service line. Well, this might this sounds rudimentary, but the point is this is profound. I mean, this is the flip the lights on. This is a whole new era, really, of of programmatic management. And and uh, how is the administration responding to all of this? What does supply chain say? What does finance say? Yeah, it's it's amazing, actually. Um, I've never been in a place where I've had so much support from the administration. Uh, routinely having the chief operating officer and the chief medical officer in our meetings. Right. That's huge. Um, and since, since I've come in, we've also brought in our marketing director. Uh, she sits in our meetings, gets to hear what we have to say, mm -hmm. um, listens to where the direction where our program is going and where we need to go. Fabulous. Uh, so she knows what they have to, you know, project out to the public and, you know, to our providers. So what you're describing is really a holistic integration of administration into the program. Uh, and this is a, a, an uncommon occurrence, as, as you know. I mean, you've, you've seen inside of many, many 
uh, robotic programs nationally, Russ. And you're well aware of the fact that having uh, the C-suite and supply chain and marketing and clinical and all of the surgeons and all of the crew and so forth talking to each other and working together and participating. We say that robotics is a team sport, but it's an uncommon occurrence to actually have this happen. Uh, your comments on that and, and what, what facilitated this type of holistic integration of administration? Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. Um, we, we do say that robotics is a team sport. All, all surgery, you know, patient care is a team sport. Um, involving the patients to administration to surgeons to anesthesia to scrub techs to supply chain you know, to the CFO, um, and I think um, just understanding that and being in you know having been to so many different hospitals where you see failing programs and in getting the pieces together and, and it's kind of corny but really emphasizing that team sport and. You know, sometimes if, you know, you don't have a team player, sometimes you need to get that person off the bus right? or help them to maximize their potential, help them help themselves so they can help the program. As the medical director of the program, if you've had outliers, if you've had people that haven't joined the, the program and are rowing in the same direction, what do you do? The culture that I'm at at our hospital is a very much uh, it's a very encouraging um, culture. So if there's deficiencies, um, people are encouraged to correct them. Um, and you know, there's always the the gossip in the OR. There's always the political arena between surgeons and groups and hospital systems and insurance status. But regardless, um, I think, you know, getting the people that are outliers and identifying that, it's critical. And that's actually one of the very first things that I came into the robotic steering committee uh, meeting um, and tried to identify those outliers. Mm-hmm. In addition, um, we tried to find, um, you know, that would be whether it be it, uh, surgeons with our cases, um, case delays, um, block time utilization, um, all the the whole gamut of just a surgical program. It's not just robotics. Uh, that that's what I love about robotics is because the eye is the the magnifying glass is so focused on robotic surgery that we're helping change surgery in general in the whole hospital. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So what you're saying is the, the, the best practices that are being implemented to advance the robotic program are directly impacting the, the laparoscopy uh, initiative, the open surgery even. I'm imagining that there's uh, an effort to move open surgery to minimally invasive where appropriate. Uh, and uh, it just changes the culture, uh, and and uh, that's what I'm hearing you describe. Is that uh, a fair assessment? That's absolutely correct, and and that's a, uh, you know, again, having been, you know, completely across the United States in multiple systems, and from large system to small system, what we're finding is that 
you know, the systems are moving patients towards surgeons who are more efficient. Right. They have better outcomes, right. which, which is only, it was what, what we would want for our family. Right. If they were to, you know, come into one of these systems. Exactly. So, if, you know, if you can provide better outcomes, less pain, faster recovery, shorter lengths of stay, less, you know, readmissions, um, and complications and, it's a no-brainer, and uh, if you can move those surgeons and change that culture in the hospital, um, again, it takes a physician champion, somebody who's going to be safe, somebody who's efficient, somebody who's uh, cost-effective, uh, mm-hmm. and making those decisions and bringing the right people into the room, and then the other, you know, having that effect on the, the OR and having other surgeons come in and and saying that's interesting. It's not the scary robot or the crazy cases that we remembered from 10 years ago. Right. Right. And you make it routine. One of the things that we're seeing is that, uh, that culture that you've just described, that point of view, uh, is evolving right now with some of our European colleagues, uh, where, uh, the thought process has been historically urology and, super complex cases are appropriate to roll the robot into the room for all of the other procedures just stay with laparoscopy what you're describing in terms of the use of the robot across um, many other service lines uh, on a regular basis is the direction that robotic surgery is going in the United States generally However, you've described a range of benefits for robotic surgery, and I'm sure that many administrators and many laparoscopic surgeons would say, wait a minute, these cases can be done just as well laparoscopically. Why should I uh, think about becoming a robotic surgeon, or why should these cases be done robotically? You've identified a number of uh, potential benefits. Uh, what do we say to your colleagues who are lap or open surgeons who haven't gotten there based on the kinds of uh, uh, benefits that you are seeing as a robotic surgeon? Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's exactly what we're faced with at every hospital or every you know new market that we come into and see um, people that are just starting to have the robot, you know, have a robot available in the old guard uh, that's usually completely against or, you know, just very much stuck in their ways and they do great surgery. Um, it's, there's no arguing when you look at my length of stays mm-hmm. and my uh, readmission rates mm-hmm. and my pain scores, patient satisfaction scores faster, you know, times to get into chemotherapy. Um, less complications, less wound complications. Um, and when your chief of surgery sees that your average length of stay for colectomies is less than 1.5 days across the board, um, you can't deny it. Right. And, you know, you have people looking and, and other people are coming into the room now and, people are going to conferences, it's becoming the, the talk. And some people still boo-hoo it because it's, it's a robot and they don't want to do it. They're like, I'm a, I'm a great laparoscopic surgeon. That's great. Um, but 
you got to eventually open your eyes to the true data mm-hmm. and drive your program based on data, not on feelings or emotion mm-hmm. or the past. I mean, I, I think, you know, looking at the past is good and making a appropriate uh, move from what you've learned from the past. And that's what we've done at St. Agnes Medical Center. We're, we are very selective in who we want to let train up. We don't, we don't let uh, any outside companies or vendors try to push us to um, who they would like to have train up. Mm-hmm. So we, we make that decision. Um, I think um, the one thing you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that uh, your, our European um, counterparts sometimes choose more uh, the robot for complex cases where they leave laparoscopic uh, surgery for the routine cases. Now, the way that I look at this is that when we go through residency, uh, surgical residency, and you learn how to do laparoscopic or minimally invasive surgery, you start with the basic cases. You start with laparoscopic appendectomies, then you progress to laparoscopic cholecystectomies. It's actually outlined in most surgical uh, residency uh, guidelines for advancement of laparoscopic skills. You don't start coming into laparoscopic surgery doing laparoscopic colectomies, gastric bypasses, um, you know, esophagectomies or complex ventral hernia repairs. You start with the basics. So it does, it just blows me away how people can think that they're going to use the robot for the most complex cases when they haven't even mastered it for the simplest cases. It's a very important point there. And uh, the, the, the answer to that is, <laughs> is what, <laughs> what is the answer to that question? I, I don't know the answer to that question. How do you go from step one to step 10 without going to two through nine? <laughs> I, I think it's, um, one is again, having a robotic steering committee that is willing to stick to their, their guns and, and make guidelines for advanced cases versus uh, basic cases, having following closely a surgeon's progress, reviewing their um, outcomes, mm-hmm. and then progress, progressing along, having senior mentors in every uh, subspecialty. We have, uh, you know, heads of uh, urology, gynecology, thoracic surgery, and uh, general surgery um, in our hospital and colorectal as well. They're all represented and they're all looking at outcomes. This is exactly the point. I mean, they're all, everybody uh, is looking at outcomes in your, in your institution and everybody is rowing in the same direction here. Uh, this is what makes it possible to have this type of, of accomplishment. Uh, in the absence of, you've described a fully integrated uh, top-down, bottom-up management and uh, administrative integration with clinical, uh, and you have uh, a data evidence-driven uh, background with regard to the, the program, and you have uh, this evidence being used as the basis of decision-making relative to case selection and the advancement of, of uh, the overall minimally invasive and robotic program. These are the cornerstones to achieve the kind of success uh, you're achieving, it sounds like, if I'm describing this correctly. Uh, and the only other 
comment I would like to make, and I'd love you to, to respond to this, Russ, is you described what happens when uh, the, the surgeons are uh, trained only on uh, basic uh, level uh, cases, your your coles and your and some of your your basic uh, uh, hernias, etc. Talking about general surgery, what we see sometimes in in academic medical centers is just the opposite: that the uh, the residents have an opportunity to work on very complex cases, but never have a chance to develop their skills on the basic cases. It creates a whole other set of problems because after they leave the academic environment and they get into the community-based environment, are they in fact prepared to do the basic cases? And the answer is, how would they when they've never done them? What do you think of that? I completely agree. And that even goes for open surgery. Um, it's, it's, it's funny how we're a small community-based hospital. Um, I know we're, we're associated with a, a larger scale system, uh, but the general bread and butter surgeon coming out of training into a community-based system is has to master the basics, of course. And that, that comes from residency and training because the chiefs, like you said, are are experienced or exposed to advanced cases, complex cases. And it leaves the interns who have, you know, or juniors with very basic uh, surgical knowledge, skills, and system-based practices, um, you know, letting them have the inguinals. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, it should be the chiefs doing the inguinals because that's what they're going to be doing the majority of their career. Um as we know, you know, gall cholecystectomies and inguinal hernias are the most common general surgical procedures performed across the United States. Uh, so, you know, perfecting those skills before you get out and practice, I think, is key. And that's that that only that that should go across the board from open surgery to laparoscopic surgery to robotic surgery. That makes a big difference. I think you've articulated it great. Well, thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Russ Martin, uh, a robotic and laparoscopic general surgeon and medical director of robotic surgery at St. Agnes Medical Center in Fresno, California. If you have any questions for Dr. Russell Martin or would like to share comments with us, we'd love to hear from you at roboticdisclosure at gmail.com. You've been listening to Robotic Disclosure. Robotic Disclosure is produced by Kava Robotics International, helping hospitals create profitable, high-quality, best-practice robotic programs in the U.S. and around the world since 2011. Visit kava-robotics.com.